0: if you're hearing this apologies we did cut the last episode into twain in (laughs) twain because i'm not gonna be here for a couple of months enjoy the second part of this episode sorry we don't have much of a preamble my name's nemo martin i use they them pronouns i'm a moderator i'm grace i use they them pronouns and i'm your primary researcher yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. I'm Stevie, your secondary researcher. I use her pronouns. Enjoy the second part of this episode. Here's a, a, a
1: neat segue. <laughs> impression that she's um, she's travelled by a few small public conveyances, she's spent a little bit of money to not have walked all the way from Paris and um, as Fantine walks past the Tinadier's tavern she sees the children on the swing and it's something that almost like almost pauses her in her tracks that she's just sort of frozen by this image of these two beautiful children laughing and playing on this swing and, and the swing and the mother playing with them. She sort of, she interrupts um, Madame Tinadier between two lines of her, of Carly-Roy and, um, yes, tells her about her pretty children and we get the um, imagery of an animal connected to um, um, Madame Tinadier again with um, the fiercest animals are disarmed by the a tribute to their young. I, I think it's interesting that they keep coming back to this in this image of something wild with her so chinari um, thanks her and invites um fontine to sit down and introduces herself and then we get like just more of victor hugo's bullshit and i just i would like you to hold in your mind the way that victor hugo described fontine mm-hmm. the first time that she was described you know about like
0: glowing
1: glowing musty mm-hmm. musty and not busty busty. <laughs> yeah, and you know you get the sort of idea of very pale skin and like slender limbs and like glowing fabrics and shit and like that she's just generally. Madame Tignadier was robust, big-boned and red-headed. A typical soldier's woman with the roughness characteristic of her. She was still young, no more than 30. Had she had been standing upright instead of sitting crouched in the doorway, her height and general look of a fairground wrestler might have alarmed a stranger and so shaken her conf- confidence as to prevent the events to be related from taking place. Destinies may be decided by the fact that a person is seated and not standing. So basically, evil people are ugly. Yeah.
0: I mean, a really interesting though, that I mean, this is the physiognomy thing, so, mm. right? Yeah, physiognomy. Being the 19th century yes yes star Asterisk. <laughs> yeah that shit was hot <laughs> yeah, yeah belief that your looks meant that that's what your personality mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. um and it was often used for criminals so if you looked bad then you probably were bad mm-hmm. and then obviously like gets used in tv
1: and film all mm-hmm. the time because if you looked like an evil character you're probably mm-hmm. an evil character i mean it's in the twits Right at the beginning of the twits. Yeah. Which shaped me a lot as a kid. So, like. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, and I guess I am very aware of this, so obviously, well, you know, analysing media, you, you do get to understand how shitty this perspective is. Yeah. I guess so. When I was reading it the first time, when I was reading all these things, I wasn't thinking, oh, ugly equals evil. Mm. I was like, wow, she's so cool and big. <laughs> yeah. And like. Yeah. Obviously I knew the Tenardiers were bad characters mm. and I was like, oh wow, so desperate I guess for any female character mm. to not be slim and pretty mm. and busts bustily. And I guess that is the problematic thing if she isn't slim and pretty and bust bustily which is why that she's such a negative character. Mm-mm. just find it really interesting. There was a tangent I could go down with this but uh, I was watching Star Trek Discovery. Mm.
1: Uh, I haven't watched any of it yet. No spoilers. Mm.
0: Episode three, I think. I oh, really no, like I the character. I've actually
1: seen that then. Okay. Um the second season.
0: Oh, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um but then so there's the character Tilly, right? So she's Tilly. Yeah. Tilly is great. Mm-hmm. She's um the science intern person mm-hmm. who just gets caught in all the stuff. She's great. She's not thin. I wouldn't mm-hmm. call her fat mm-hmm. and fat in a non fat shaming way, but in a
1: in a political fatness, sort yeah. of way. Yeah, yeah. Um, hmm.
0: But she is larger than all of the other female characters. Hmm. Then there was an, a scene where it was like a full-body shot of her to the side. And you saw, like... Because the uniforms they wear are very form-fitting. Obviously, hmm. so that like all of the busty and all of the thin and stuff is accentuated. Hmm. But she was just standing there, and she was doing a cool thing. And, like, she was just like a big bodied person Mm. being really cool and she has like quite a big chest Mm. and quite a big butt and it was just like cool that's like not anything to do with what's happening right now she's just doing her job and in this uniform and it's like completely not a thing for her and it was like it's really cool yeah yeah, uh, i saw that and i was like oh my god (laughs) (laughs) it's so simple you just have to put this person here And, like, she's doing her job. Mm. And it's not a plot point. It's nothing. At no point is she, like, made fun of. And Mm. at no point does she have to go through, like, a makeover thing or anything Mm. like that. She's just... Yeah. So, fuck you, Victor (laughs) Hugo.
1: Yeah. Today on Representation Matters, you know. I mean, also, she's got curly orange hair. Yeah. And I think she's... I again, I it's been a little while since I've watched it, but she's implied to be neurodivergent, yeah, quite heavily, yeah, right.
0: Well, uh, in um, episode three, I think there's some stuff about she thinks that maybe she's more neurodiverse than she is, but then it's like Mm. a possible, uh,
1: but yeah, yeah, but she Mm. is supposed to be implied to be
0: not neurotypical,
1: Mm. definitely, yeah, okay, yeah, so she's she's a very cool character, yeah, and. I, I forgot about her now, and now I'm more excited to watch season yeah, two. Yeah, it's quite Tilly-focused season two, so... Nice. Good, but also...
0: I mean, no, like, Michael is what, like... Yeah, Michael is okay, good, like I was that, like... Wah. It's not like, killed like, Michael. Wah. No, yeah, but, but okay. like, Tilly,
1: Tilly becoming cool
0: more yeah. autonomous, so she isn't, like, the fat best friend yeah, kind of stereotype, which that. they were kind of leading towards mm, in season one. Yeah. It's a very female-focused season. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Excellent news. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: So Fontine tells um to uh, Madame Thenardier her story about what happens, but changes it a little bit to be more palatable. In scare quotes, um, that she was a working woman whose husband had died and couldn't find work in Paris, and that was why she was coming out, and um, you know, her little girl had fall, fallen asleep in her arms and that sort of thing, and um, she wakes um Cosette up in her arms and she like opens her big blue eyes and like. Blinks. And ooh, actually, yes. The child opened wide eyes as blue as her mother's and gazing at the world, saw what? Nothing and everything, with that intent, sometimes stern expression of small children, which is among the marvels of their shining innocence, in contrast to our own sullied virtues. It is as though they know themselves to be angels and the rest of us to be only human and um, there's this this description of her and then it talks about her laughing and trying to get down because because she wants to go and play with the other girls and earlier on as well there's this very um sort of angelic very very sweet and innocent description of of Azelma and um and Eponine and it was then that description there the um as though they know themselves to be angels and the rest of us to be only human that I like it hit me like a bus that Victor Hugo had lost his daughter
0: mm. Mm. oh no
1: <laughs> like i w- it literally I was sitting there and I was like I was like, wow, the way he describes these kids it's like the some of it, I'm like, mm, you didn't need to talk about her thigh okay <laughs> like i like it's quite mm-hmm. like weird some of the way he describes it, but it really I was just like, yeah. Mm. he lost his little girl. Well, that's sad. (laughs) Yeah. It just, like, that. it just, I was sitting there and I was just like, mmm. So, moving forward with that in mind.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think this is probably also the last time you see, like, pure innocence as well. Because, I guess the next time you see, because, but then she's, like, just about to lose that Mm. innocence. And not in a bad way, but.
1: Yeah, yeah. But there's also, there's, uh, stuff that we'll get in, into later about mm. how even in the next few years she loses a lot of that
0: mm.
1: a lot of that
0: so just thinking that this is the last bright spot and mm. we're not even like a centimetre into
1: the book <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> lay miserables <laughs> um, so Madame Chenardier um, takes the kids down from the swing and sets them off to, to playing with, with each other and they start like digging in the mud and um, you know Fontine introduces um, Cosette, and we get the ah. Uh, um, in fact, it was Euphrasie, um, mm. but but through the the touching alchemy of simple pe- in of simple people, it had become Cosette. It is a kind of linguistics that, that baffles the the etymologist. Fun. So, for it?
0: people who don't know, Cosette's birth name is Euphrasie.
1: Yeah, Euphrasie um, mm. means beautiful words, good words. I, I oh. read a
0: really fascinating thing about the names in this novel mm. on Tumblr I can't remember anything about it but mm. uh, you can probably have an episode about mm. that mm. Um yeah there was a really I fascinating
1: think, one like Greek roots right like Euphrazy yeah like, oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah.
0: But apparently, it's not like a standard name. Mm. Mm. I think quite a few of the names that Hugo has chosen aren't standard, mm. which means that he's put a lot of thought mm. into yeah. the meaning of the yeah, names. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. So and also,
1: we know he gets off on like <laughs> great clips, so yeah, like yeah. I, I'm happy to, to 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 take it as that. Uh, they find a worm, which is great, <laughs> and they're all like, wow that's a worm!" And Madame Tinadier um looked, says, "Ah, oh, look at them! You know, they, they they might they might all be sisters." and that's where Fantine freezes and you know takes her hand and and asks her if she would look after her daughter And Tenedier, um starts but but expresses neither acceptance nor refusal Fantine goes on to try and persuade her to 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 take to look after Gazette and talks about um you know her seeing seeing um, children and saying, "Ah, oh, so happy and so clean and so pretty." And I thought to myself, "That's a good mother." As you say, they would be like sisters. And beside, I will I will come soon to fetch her. And um, Madame Ternadier says, "Ah, I, I will have to think about it." Fantine brings up. She says, "I I could I could pay you six francs a month." And this is at the point where a man's voice calls from the inside of the house. Not less than seven, and in six months in advance six times six times seven makes forty two says Madame Thenardier very well um, and another fifteen francs for the extras called the man total fifty seven francs said the Thenardier woman whilst making the calculation as she hummed a few bars of her song so I't know I keep joking about Carly Ray Jepsen, but there's an interesting um part of the description for um, Madame Thenardier, where it talks about her love of um <laughs> Like sentimental romance novels, mm-hmm. like popular romance novels, and that sort of thing, um, and it, it, like the way the way Hugo describes it is in quite a disparaging way, um, that like you know she's into all of the books that the tavern wenches read and that sort of thing about like, um, yeah, that she likes sentimental books basically, and that there's this interesting dichotomy in her of cruelty and sentimentality and of cruelty and and goodness and I just I really liked her interjecting very quickly every time Mm. saying right this is how much money you owe me whilst humming a few bars of her of her sentimental pop song I think that just like Mm. does the character quite well um, but
0: also like she can read. Yeah. Which is wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: she she can read. And also he's saying, so that'll be six months in advance, this yeah. and she's going, That's that. Yeah,
0: yeah. That's this. Yeah.
1: Like she's coming up she's coming up with the numbers immediately yeah. after. And
0: I don't think it's ever explained how or why. Mm. I mean Tanardier later on his the fact that he can write to a pretty good
1: standard as mm. well is mentioned quite a lot. Mm. So like
0: they're pretty they're intelligent. Yeah. they not yeah yeah. Yeah.
1: There's a, a part later on that might address some mm. of that. But um, the the thing about the books, I note, because later on um, it talks a little bit about Jean Valjean's attitude for books, but obviously in a very different way,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know? And, yeah. and and also another character that is introduced fairly soon afterwards yeah. about how he feels about books, and it's also <laughs> in a very different way. <laughs> um, so it's I, like... Every time a character is introduced, Hugo moralises with books, basically. <laughs> um, in, a, in a very yeah. writer sort of bullshit yeah, like, way, you
0: yeah. know. No, I just remembered the the bit earlier on where he was, like, talking about that guy with, who Bishop M- Muriel was talking about and was like... Oh, the philosopher. Oh, the fancy boy. Yeah, and he was like, oh, and of course he was talking about Hugo, this author's great-great-grandfather or whatever. <laughs> it was like, you can't even, like...
1: Yeah, people who live in glass houses, you mm-hmm. know. Fontaine says, yes, you shall have the money, you know, I have this much. If if I give you that, I should still just about be able to make it to where I'm going. You know, does she have enough clothes? Yes, I've got all the clothes, you can have them. So um, Tanadier suddenly appears in, in the doorway and sort of agrees, and the bargain is concluded. Um, she stays for a night in the tavern, um, and then left her daughter and the clothes, and set off next morning with a greatly lightened bag, expecting to soon return. It had happened qu- quietly enough, but such partings are loaded with despair. A neighbour who saw her leave the town said later to Madame Tenadier, I've just seen a girl in the street sobbing as though, as though her heart would break. The man, Thenardier said to his wife, Well, that takes care of the bills that fall due to morrow. I was fifty short. Do you realise I might have been summoned? That was a neat trap you set, you and the kids between you, and not even meaning to," said the lady. And I just, I think it's really interesting how her intention is set up there, mm. in the way, in the way that it's, even though she's saying I'm not, the, I and I didn't mean to, mm. and I didn't mean to is still, and I did. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So there's no, there's no, like she is not cleared of what she did. Yeah. Like she intended, she like yeah. struck this. She went
0: along with. Yeah, she, she, she's she okay with
1: it. yeah, it was she, so yeah. and she she was part of it. So there's no mm. like there's no, she is not a victim here. She was a mm. part. She was a part of this. She was an yeah. an accomplice in this. And I just that that was a very neat way to um show that the next part. Yeah, we we have the tenetias for for this this short book um and this uh, the chapter coming is a is sort of a, a closer examination of their character so um oh, i did highlight the words i wanted to look up and i didn't look them up
0: i can do them real quick
1: blackguardism so the quote that reminded me of what you were talking about earlier about them being intelligent in a way that doesn't necessarily make sort of societal sense for the class that mm-hmm. they are Um, They belong to that indeterminate layer of society, sandwiched between the middle and lower classes, which consists of riffraff who have risen in the world and more cultivated persons who have sunk, which combines the worst qualities of both, having neither the generosity of the worker nor the respectable honesty of the bourgeois. I thought that maybe, even though it's just an implication, implies... About maybe them being more coming from a slightly higher class and have come down, mm-hmm. which might explain why they're both educated. Mm-hmm. If you like going to tavern, you'd have to be good at numbers as well. Yeah, I guess. yeah, um. exactly. yeah. Although not necessarily have to be able to read, and also enough to choose to read for pleasure. I, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, so it talks about the cruel, the cruelty of the woman and blackbirdism in the man.
0: So I think this is the word that's. It's sometimes pronounced blackguard. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, noun, a low, contemptible person, scoundrel. Scoundrel! <laughs> and the obsolete, uh, it used to mean a group of menial workers in the kitchen of a large household, the servants of an army, or camp followers. Oh, cool. So, both of those work for Yeah,
1: interesting. Yeah. Blackguard? Yeah, so blaggard. that could, because mm. I've only seen blackguard written B L A G G A R D. Yeah. Mm. Whereas I this is Blackguard, but I can see how that would be mm. bastardised into the other.
0: Mm. Yeah, the only one for Blackguard, with the double G instead of mm. Blackguard, mm. is an urban dictionary. Oh, okay, so, so it's think, just Yeah, I think oh, it is just a corruption of yeah. Blackguard.
1: The more you know!
0: Mm-hmm. Urban dictionary, interestingly, defining it as a person who manages to get away with not doing something by the way of talking out of it. So that's quite a specific way, but I think that is quite... That works. Yeah. That works. Yeah. Scoundrel.
1: Scoundrel. It talks about them being highly susceptible to the encroachments of evil, behaving like crayfish. I'm going to think about that for the rest of my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That they go backwards rather than forwards through life, gaining in deformity with experience, going from bad to worse and sinking into even deeper darkness. The Tenardiers were of this kind. It's It's weird because obviously... Don't like the Tenardiers and I don't like Ptolemais like as characters. But I've whenever when I've been reading this, like the descriptions of those characters, I've always been like, ah, oh, yeah, me. Mm-hmm. Like I've always related a lot more strongly to the way that Hugo, and especially initially, before mm-hmm. you know you find out all the awful things that they did. Um, descri- the way that he describes those characters. I've always sort of been like, oh yeah, feel that. Probably because they're human yeah
0: a lot more yeah. than the positive character yeah it's hard yeah. to relate to a idealized person that probably couldn't exist which is probably the mm. point like you can either choose like like Jean Valjean yeah. and Thenardier and fontaine and javert and all of these characters start off as humans and yeah. then because they also have choice.
1: quite similar starts yeah
0: yeah they all like start at the same sort mm. of line and then because of well, what society puts on them, but then I guess how they choose to Mm. then react to that Mm. defines who
1: they are. And some of them obviously get luckier than others. Mm. There's quite an interesting comment on that in the next three chapters, actually.
0: Mm. So yeah, I guess, yeah, it is interesting. You do relate to the villainous ones because they do what most of us do instead of choosing to be holy. (laughs) And like they have, yeah, like the holier ones have a lot more strength than a lot of us
1: yeah. do. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was definitely, it was the, like, the, you know, the thing about the indeterminate layer of society that has neither the generosity of the worker nor the respectable honesty of the bourgeois, and I was like, <sighs> <laughs> definitely have problems with that that I'm trying to work yeah. on, you know? Mm-hmm. But it's just, turns out people are people and we're just trying to mostly be better than we are. Yeah, just a nice one
0: to Yeah. Who is it? Someone said recently the best no the true comedy no ah oh, what was it they were talking about comedy and they were basically like you only really get laughs when someone on screen acts human
1: mm.
0: and like oh yeah that's pretty real like you only really laugh when something mm. is like relatable mm. to humankind and stuff. Mm. so it's the same kind of concept of like yeah, you only really relate to someone who does shitty things because we all do shitty things and then we feel
1: guilty about it and then we yeah. laugh about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I suppose the, the laughter comes from the fact that it's usually things that you would feel shame about. Yeah. The things that, yeah. that, that, you, don't, that you don't want to expose to other people. And then, then you see it in a book or you hear about it in comedy and you're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> other people too. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, it's like relief. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which is where that like re- relates. Is, is forged, I guess. Mm. So the Tenardier is, uh, again, the um mask is... Um, I just can't of, You know Nidoran female and Nidoran male? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so Tenardier with
0: the female symbol next to it and with the male yeah, symbol.
1: Yeah, that's literally... That's that, that that's how I see them now. They they are poison Pokemon. <laughs> Oh, boy. Yeah, so it talks about him being someone who, when you look at him, you see that he's shifty. You see that he's someone who's like, there's a shiftiness of the eyes. And from the back, he's th- uneasy. And from the front, he's threatening. And <laughs> <laughs> so. All right. Um, So then it it hints to some backstory and talks about, oh, he had been a soldier, um, a sergeant who, by his own account, had fought bravely in the 1815 campaign. (laughs) Um, We shall learn in due course what this amounted to. His tavern sign bore witness to his feats of arms. He had painted it himself, being a jack of all trades, who did everything badly. And that... My only note on that is mood. <laughs> um, it's,
0: it's it's kind of funny how you read the um, by his own account. Yeah. yeah by
1: his own account. But no, mm. but then you read it
0: like, and by his own account, like, it's just such a positive way of reading yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs>
1: rather than by his own account. Yeah. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm imagining the, like, female reading circle, you know, like, because they would have read these yeah. out to mm-hmm. a circle. Mm-hmm. And then... Just the person reading this chapter and being like, and by his by own account, his own account. a really positive, <laughs> yeah. great guy mm. and a jack-of-all-trick kind of thing.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. So it goes on to talk a little bit more about Madame Tignadier's, um taste in books, where it's, you know, it talks about the, how they were high-minded in tone, but increasingly vulgar in ton- in context, were indulging the romantic tastes of Paris concierge and pen- penetrating further afield. Um, just can talk. I know, like, <laughs> shut up. Uh, Just fucking read your trashy romance novels. Like, have a nice time. Who cares? And she had just sufficient intelligence to read books of this kind, and she devoured them, soaking in them what little mind she possessed. It's like... Like... She loved to read these books. Like, just fucking give her a fucking break. Um, And it talks about how her soaking up with these, like, sentimental romance novels and that uh, altered the way that she... Um, interacted with her husband and that was why she was so sort of simpering towards towards him Um, she's 15 years younger than him and then interestingly when this style of book began began to become less fashionable she lost that sentimentality and became nothing but a a spiteful woman who had reveled in silly fiction but one cannot be unaffected by that sort of thing One of the results was that her elder daughter was named Eponine. So, which I assume is an implication that it's a sort of slightly romantic, Mm. fantasizing sort of name.
0: I find this interesting in that Victor Hugo is literally writing this book to make people do better. And then he's like, Oh, but stupid people get affected by the media they consume. <laughs> uh, fuck up. Fucking wake up, sheeple. And it's like,
1: you're trying to do the same well, thing here. You know. that's what you're doing. Yeah. Oftentimes men are full of bullshit. Like, <laughs> but not when I do it, <laughs> says, says Victor Hugo.
0: Not all authors. Not
1: all authors. Um, there's another thing. There's a, a short thing about um, the fashion of the time. Um, for naming conventions where lots of the lots of um, people in, in lower classes often had quite fanciful names whereas quite people in, in higher classes often had quite plain rustic sort of style names, which is interesting. It talks about how that ugh, the phrase that it uses is in the blowing of the new wind is to be felt. Here as elsewhere behind the paradox we may discern an event of great and profound significance, the French Revolution. And I think, again, harkens back to how it was just becoming fashionable for people in the lower classes and of the, of the bourgeoisie to start wearing the fleur-de-lis again. And you just mm-hmm. get that sort of people coming back to the royalist sort of way of thinking, in even in the way that they're naming their children. And that so it just sort of brings the tone of that around. Um, chapter three of this book is entitled The Lark. And the, the, the first line is, is great. Um, mere lack of scruple does not ensure prosperity. The tavern was doing badly. It's just, <laughs> just, it's just great. <laughs> like, it really is just good. So Tinadier, because he got this money from um, Fontaine, managed to escape court summons. And then it talks about a month later, they were short of money again. Mm-hmm. Um, so Madame Tinadier pawns um, Cosette's all of her fine clothes off and when this like when when that happens they start to sort of see her as like this charity child that they have taken on you mm. know so they so they get to you know it doesn't matter if they treat her less well than their own children because it's something that they're doing you know out of the goodness of their hearts um she starts to get dressed in epine and Azelma's you know leftover clothes she eats on the floor with the um with the cat and the dog and rather less well than the cat even if slightly better than the dog we get a brief insight into the fact that fontine has found employment in Montreuil-sur-Mer, and is writing a letter or having one written for her asking about her daughter and the are saying ah yeah she's doing really well it's fantastic fontine had paid for them to look after um cosette in advance and when that six months it, um, expires when that's finished. She keeps paying, but by the end of the year, Thenardier um, is sitting saying, you know, what like what are we getting from, from just seven francs? Um, and start, um, up the price, it comes up to 12. And um, Fantine pays for the money. Madame Thenardier starts to hate Cosette. It, it talks about the fact that she has a limited... Um, a limited amount of emotions to give a limited amount of love and a little bit of, um, amount of hatred and um, suggests that if Cosette had not been there her daughters would have received both but because Cosette was there she mm-hmm. could split that so that her daughters received the love and Cosette um, received the hatred. It talks about her hitting Cosette and um, Eponine and Azelma seeing the way that um Cosette is treated and treating her in the same way because obviously they're imitating their, their mother and this goes on for for two years for you know two years all the people in the village are talking about how fantastic um the is are for looking after this this child that was dumped upon them uh tenardier masculine um finds out through some devious means that the child is probably legitimate and ups the price again to 15 francs a month and talks about how if she stop if if um, she says if Fantine says anything about about the money she'll um, he'll dump the, the the child back on her and she'll probably lose her job for it. Her Cosette is growing and becoming more and more miserable, becoming thinner, becoming more and more unhappy. Um, she starts to do all the work of the household where she so she's you know she's sweeping, she's um, scrubbing floors and washing dishes and there and this is she's five. At, at the time and it's um hugo brings up that um the tornadoes feel more and more sort of justified about asking her to do this because fontine has stopped being able to pay them more regularly and is a couple of months in arrears so you just get that like hint of what's happening in in the rest of the world at the time if fontine had returned to mafamere More for me, in the end of the three years, she would not have known her daughter. The bright, pretty child she had left at the inn was now thin and pale-faced. She had a furtive air, sly, the Tenardiers say. Ill treatment had made her sullen, and misery had made her ugly. Only the beauty of her eyes remained, as this was more distressing, because, being large, they mirrored a greater measure of unhappiness. And we get the the image. It was heart-wrenching to see her, a child not yet six shivering in scanty tattered garments busy before daybreak on a winter's morning sweeping the pavement outside the house with a broom far too big for her small chapped hands roll credits yeah. here we have it yeah. there it is <laughs> the iconic the image. The iconic image of 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 the, the 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 film and musical and everything to do with les Mis. there it is mm. that's where it comes from
0: and is used on like the front piece of every novel adaptation. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there it is. Not adaptation, every translation. Every, yeah,
1: every version of the novel that you can find pretty much. Interestingly, in a different way, this one. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, she was she was known locally as Leluit um, the lark. The village people with instinctive symbolism had thought that it was a suitable name for the apprehensive, trembling little creature. Scarcely more than a bird who was always first up at that house and out of doors before dawn. But this was a lark that never sang.
0: And the front of your book.
1: House. It's covered in larks, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Skylarks, yeah. yeah. And starlings. Great, thanks. Sad. Right. Mm-hmm. That's sad, yeah. <laughs> so that's that's that short book, which is, here are the Tenardiers. They are bad.
0: <gasps> yeah. Mm. You get basically everything that Yeah. From Lima's. Just sad children, sad society. Everything is bad.
1: Social mobility has been stopped in its tracks. Yeah.
0: Ha ha ha! Wasn't that great? <laughs> what a great episode! Wow! <laughs> um, this podcast was produced by Mimi, with Martin, and Julian Yap. It was a Captain's Collections podcast. Audio direction by Jade. You can find on Twitter at JD Wasabi or on her website, wasabi playground.com, where you can also download the theme tune and the alternate theme tune. Uh, which is pay what you want, and you should pay because it's great and we love Jade Talking of money, we also have a ko which is in our description uh, We use the money for website hosting and to send Stevie to the library and definitely not on plane tickets for me <laughs> um, I don't know why I said that so skeevily like <laughs> to <tenardier>, like <laughs> This is definitely not a pyramid scheme. I don't know what a pyramid scheme is. Anyway. I think you have to be white to do one. Oh. I, 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 like, I just feel like my those are maybe the you know That's family. not true. That's <laughs> to world. Okay. Mm. It's definitely not a pyramid scheme though because I don't know what a pyramid scheme is. <laughs> if you have any comments, questions or quibbles you can send us an email podcast at gmail.com l-e-s-m-i-s podcast at gmail.com You can also send us uh, message over on Tumblr at Brad Barricades or on Twitter Moes, at Lamez Podcast.
1: It's the police. It's <laughs> It's Javert. It's and I'm Javert. <laughs> thanks for listening.
0: And thanks for listening. Yeah, yes. okay. And thanks for listening. Yeah. <laughs>
1: it. <laughs>